Our sermon text this morning is Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 to 5. This is the final chapter in this letter. Again, Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 to 5. This is God's word. Listen attentively to it. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Let us pray. Our gracious God, we come to you this morning, and as we prepare to study your word, as we prepare to look into these verses that the Apostle Paul wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we pray, O Lord, that you, by that same Spirit, would cause us to have knowledge and understanding, especially of what it means to bear each other's burdens. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now you will remember, those of you who have been here uh, the past few weeks, that in the previous passage, those last several verses of chapter 5, we discussed, and Paul discussed, the works of the flesh and the fruit of of the Spirit. And we considered this passage in two parts. And in both cases, we were looking at how we are to be led by the Holy Spirit who dwells within our hearts. And you will remember that Paul engaged in this discussion uh, between the works of the flesh and the, and, the, and the fruit of the Holy Spirit as a battle that takes place between the flesh and the Spirit. He used military terms. And so we were able to gain some understanding of what is taking place in our hearts as we struggle with the flesh. And as the Lord's Holy Spirit, who dwells within us, battles on our behalf. Well, this morning's passage is the first five verses of the last chapter of Galatians. We began looking at Galatians back in the early spring, perhaps in March. And you'll see as we look at this final chapter that as we're all prone to do when we're writing a letter, or more especially nowadays when we're sending out an email, when we reach the end of it, especially if it's a lengthy one, we tend to throw in a lot of different ideas and topics, and in some cases instructions. And this is the same for Paul, especially Paul, who is writing on papyrus, who has one shot, he can't just hit the delete key and remove something that he doesn't like. And so you'll see that this looks to be a, a jumble of instructions and ideas that Paul is putting in there in this last chapter of Galatians. It's practical instructions that Paul is giving the Galatian Christians. These instructions, however, are anything but random. And they are directly related to the previous passage. What Paul is saying now flows right out of what he said in chapter 5. Paul is a very logical writer. He follows a logical flow of thought. And so while it may seem that things are a little bit jumbled, it's coming from what he has just said. Paul understands that it is much easier for him 
to command the Galatian Christians to walk by the Spirit than for them to actually do it. Paul understands that it's much easier for him to describe what the works of the flesh are than for the Galatian Christians to actually avoid the works of the flesh. Paul understands that it is much easier for him to commend to the Galatians the fruit of the Spirit than it is for them to, to bear this fruit. And chapter 6 shows us that he realizes this. He's not ignorant to this fact. Chapter 6 shows us that Paul realizes that this is a world in which people get hurt. This is a world in which people fall into sin. This is a world in which they need their brothers and sisters in Christ to build them up, to bind them up, to restore them. People get hurt in this world physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And we all experience physical and emotional worlds simply because we live, uh, physical and emotional wounds simply because we live in a fallen world, don't we? We have all endured pain. We've all endured loss and suffering. In some ways, it has been physical. We've, many of us have experienced broken bones. Many of us have experienced the death of a loved one, which combines both physical and, and emotional as well as spiritual injuries and hurts. But there are other wounds that we suffer in the battle between our flesh and the Holy Spirit. And these are those specific spiritual wounds that happen in that battle. You see, God's common grace is such that most people, when they experience pain, most people do not have to go through difficult times by themselves. They don't have to go through these hard times alone, even if they're believers or unbelievers. God has structured the world in such a way that we have family to look after us. And yet there are still some in our world and in this nation who experience terrible things, who go through extreme tragedy by themselves. But this is not the way it is to be in the church, is it? This should never be the case in the household of faith. Being a part of Christ's church means that you should never suffer hardship, hurt, pain by yourselves. It means that when you are beaten and you are broken in the spiritual battles that you face, you have people around you who can heal you, who can help to restore you. They can lovingly take care of you. And it means that when the weight of, the li of this life is threatening to crush you, you have brothers and, and sisters in Christ who will step in beside you. And they will put their shoulder underneath the weight that you cannot bear. And they will help you carry it. And sometimes it means that they will pick you up and carry you too. This is what Jesus Christ did for us. And this is what he expects us to do for others. So think on this as we consider this passage. Just as Jesus Christ bore the burden of our sin and guilt on the cross, we are to bear one another's burdens, even gently restoring a sinner. Just as Jesus Christ bore the burden of our sin and guilt on the cross, we are to bear the burdens of others, even gently restoring another sinner. I've divided this passage up into two sections, bearing each other's burdens, verses 1 and 2, and bearing your own load, verses 3 to 5. Well, let's look at bearing each other's burdens, verses 1 to 2. But first, a, a little note here. Now, you read through this passage, you might have been struck as I was 
when I read through it, by what seemed to be a contradiction between verses 2 and 5. It is interesting, isn't it? In the same passage, Paul says uh, in verse 2, he commands us to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. But then in verse 5, just a few sentences lower, he says that each will have to bear his own load. Paul's two statements here reflect the tension that every Christian faces. We are at the same time utterly dependent on God. And yet, we bear personal responsibility for our actions, don't we? We are utterly dependent. We are creatures, and God is the creator. We are small, and he is great. He is sovereign and oversees all that takes place, superintends all that takes place. And yet, we do have a a personal responsibility. And so Paul can command us to bear our own load. Now in the church, our dependency on God means that at times we will have to be dependent on other people. We'll have to trust others. God uses our brothers and sisters in Christ to bear us up, to build us up. That is a part of his plan. And yet, we still need to take responsibility for ourselves and to bear our own loads. This is that tension, that, the, the apparent contradiction that we see. And we'll get into that a little more as we look at verse 5. Well, verse 1 gives practical instructions for shouldering someone else's burden in a very specific situation. Paul says, if, uh, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Now, you all know this. Many of you have experienced this. In our struggles with the flesh, between the, the flesh and the spirit, there are times when we fall into sin. There are times when we are caught, when we are trapped. There are times when we are surprised at our ability to sin. And the phrase, caught in any transgression that Paul uses here, it should be clear, does not mean any deliberate or habitual sin. He's not talking about that continual walking in sinfulness. He's talking about when you are trapped, uh, when you are caught. It's an unexpected sin that Paul is talking about. And so, in this unexpected sin, there is a way to, to try to restore uh, the brother or sister who is wayward. Paul, Paul's instructions in this case, when someone is caught in sin, is that this brother and sister or sister should be restored in a spirit of gentleness. In a spirit of gentleness. It should be done carefully, cautiously, kindly. And what Paul is talking about here is church discipline. Now to our ears, when we hear the words church discipline, many of us, and, and I included, we don't like the sound of it, do we? We don't like the sound of discipline. And it doesn't sound like what Paul is talking about here in terms of restoring a brother or sister is, is discipline, does it? But you see, that is because we don't understand church discipline. We don't understand the aim of church discipline. And we don't understand the manner in which it is to be done. And that is because it has been abused in many times in the church. It has been abused in the way that it has been carried out, and that it has been harsh or vindictive. And it has been abused in, in the way in which it has not been carried out at all in the church. There are many churches in this day and age that do not practice church discipline. And yet, those in the Reformed tradition considered it such an important part of the church that they considered it to be a mark of the, truth, of the true church. 
there were three marks that the reformers considered to be marks of the church. And the first was the preaching of the word. The second was the right administration of the sacraments. And the third was the exercise of church discipline. But when church discipline is carried out poorly, it does certainly get a bad name. But you see, church discipline is to be carried out with a desire to restore. That is the aim. That is the purpose, to restore the person who is sinning. It is to restore a sinner to a proper relationship with God. That is the corrective to the abusive ways in which church discipline has been carried out. If you have a desire to restore a brother, it's much less likely that you're going to be abusive or dangerous. Now, to help get the proper perspective on church discipline, we need to see the church as a hospital. And you've probably all heard this analogy made of the church. It's, it is. In many ways, it's a hospital, isn't it? It's a hospital for sinners. Each and every one of us who walks within the doors of this gathering this morning, we all are sinners, aren't we? We're all in need of a physician. We're all in need of healing. And we need to see the brother and sister who has been caught in some sort of sin as someone who's come in with a, with a badly broken arm, with a compound fracture. They've come in. They need help. They cannot set it themselves. And those who are spiritual, Paul says, those who are spiritual should seek to restore this person. Now, restoring the injured person, person would be setting the broken bone, would be putting it in a cast so that it could heal properly, that it could mend itself. And in fact, the word restore that Paul uses here is a term used for medical healing. It means to render to its former condition. Well, having a broken bone set is not something that you want somebody on the street to do for you. That would be a last, uh, last case, last ditch resort, is to have someone on the street do it. Ideally, you want a doctor who has done it many, many times. In fact, you want an orthopedic surgeon, if you can get one, to set a broken bone. Well, Paul says that in the same way, in terms of spiritual healing, and what takes place in the church Someone needs to, to, with some experience, restore someone who's fallen into sin. And this is why Paul says, you who are spiritual should restore him. Now, this doesn't mean that it's only for the spiritual elite. It doesn't mean that it's only for the pastor or for the elders. But it does mean, in the context of Paul having just spoken about bearing the fruit of the Spirit, it does mean that those who are walking according to the Spirit, those who are being led by the Spirit, should be engaged in this activity. It does need to be someone who has a certain level of maturity in their Christian walk. Now, because all believers are indwelled, that all believers have the Holy Spirit living in their heart, we all bear responsibility to do this. We all, at times, will be sinned against by our brother or sister. And so we've got a responsibility to seek out that person and to try to restore them to a right relationship with us and with God. And so it is very likely that Paul has, is aware of, he's been told of Jesus' instructions uh, on how to deal with a brother who's sinned against you, his teaching in Matthew chapter 18, specifically verses 15 to 17. Let me read those verses to you. Jesus says this, If a brother sins against you, go and tell him your fault, his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he doesn't listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile 
and a tax collector. Now, the first step in verse 15 is church discipline taking place at its most basic level. This is the, the small end of a, of a continuum here. When there's a sin that takes place between a brother and a brother, it is expected that those two will work it out at a very basic level. This is church discipline that never reaches the level of the leadership in the church. It's the membership who can deal with this. And this is honestly the way that all church discipline should take place in an ideal situation. And so you all bear a responsibility here. It's all on your shoulders to do this, to carry this out. If you are sinned against, go and talk to your brother. Talk to your sister. There may be instances where that sinning brother doesn't know they've done it. And they need to be made aware of it. But if you do it, do it with the goal of restoration, not vindication or condemnation. Not with destruction in mind. Not retribution. Do it with a spirit of gentleness. Gentleness is a fruit of the spirit, isn't it? And so those who are spiritual are bearing that fruit. And that is how we are called to bring restoration and healing and one of the dangers for doctors and surgeons, when they're saving people's lives all the time, if you're working in an ER, uh, one of the dangers for doctors or surgeons is that they begin to think that they're doing it. They begin, can begin to become conceited. And this is often, it, has, it even has a name, doesn't it? This is called the God complex. There's an arrogance that's developed sometimes. And the same can be true for those of us in the church. For all of us, in fact, who are carrying out this responsibility to restore sinners. We can get a big head, can't we? We can become uh, convinced that we're the ones doing this healing. We're the ones that are taking, uh, making restoration happen. And that is why Paul says at the end of verse 1, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. He's just said at the end of chapter 5, verse 26, he's just said, that we should guard against becoming conceited. We should guard against becoming arrogant. And now he says, keep watch on yourself, lest you too become tempted. You see, if we believe we're the ones doing the healing, we will certainly develop arrogance in our relationship with others. We'll come in with a, with a superiority in our own thinking, that we're the ones that can right this situation. We can make it better. And in those situations, damage, worse damage is done. There's great danger and that kind of mindset and that kind of uh, attitude. We need to remember that it is God alone who restores a sinner. We are simply privileged to be instruments in his hands. But Paul also says that we should keep watch on ourselves because it is easy for us to be tempted in the same way that that sinning brother or sister was tempted. It's easy when their hearts are exposed to us and they reveal to us what they've done. It's easy for us to be tempted by it. And so we have to be careful. We must constantly be on guard so that we do not give in to the same temptation. Now, after Paul has given instructions on restoring a sinner, a sinning brother, he makes a fairly general statement in verse 2. He says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. He's talked specifically about a specific way that we can bear each other's burdens by restoring a sinning brother. And now he talks more generally, bear one another's burdens. You see, restoration requires the gentleness of a surgeon's hands. 
But bearing each other's burdens, as Martin Luther has said, requires strong shoulders and mighty bones. It requires strength and sometimes brute force to bear each other's burdens. And bearing one another's burdens requires strength, but it also requires a willingness of heart, doesn't it? It's one thing to see that there are problems. It's quite another to step in and to try to help. It's not simply enough to be aware of someone else's need. Paul commands us to jump in, to get involved, to help out, to do what we can. And this requires us to know each other, doesn't it? We need to know each other well enough so that when we see each other, in some cases only on a weekly basis, we need to know each other well enough that when we look in each other's eyes, we can tell that something's going on. We need to know each other well enough that when we hear one another talk, we can hear that tone of voice that lets us know it's a signal that things are not right and we need to get involved. But it also requires those of us who are struggling, those of us who are having a burden that it seems too great to bear, it requires those of us who are struggling to make our needs known. We are experts at hiding. We're experts at concealing things. But let me remind you, you cannot hide things from God. And God does not intend for you to hide things from each other. Open up. Allow people to get involved. Share the things that hurt you. Share the things that are burdening you and weighing you down. And allow those who are stronger than you, those who have the strong shoulders and the mighty bones, to come in beside you. In some cases, it will mean that they will pick you up. They'll toss you across their shoulder and carry you. But that's better than being left alone on the side of the road. You see, all of this, what Paul is talking about here, it all goes back to Paul's command in chapter 5, verse 13, where he says to serve each other in love. To serve each other in love. And this is love. We have to love our neighbors as ourselves. The love for our neighbor is born out of our love for God. And this is the law of Christ. This is the two tablets of the law. Summarized in the Ten Commandments. Love your God and love your neighbor. This is the law of Christ. We're to love each other. When we bear each other's burdens, when we carry one another, we will fulfill the law of Christ. Well, let's look now at verses 3 to 5, bearing your own load. <clears throat> we understand, as we have been talking about bearing each other's burdens, we see that it requires humility, doesn't it? It requires us to have a willingness to get ourselves dirty. It requires a willingness to tire ourselves out, a willingness to get involved in people's lives. And we know that it is going to be exhausting work. And you know this, you've seen this in your own life, you've watched this in other people. Conceited people do not think of others as being more important than themselves, do they? Arrogant people do not consider the needs of other people. That's why they're arrogant. So they're unlikely to ever bear another person's burdens. And Paul deals with this in verse 3. He says, therefore, if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. The arrogant person thinks he is something, when in reality, he is nothing. And so he's deceiving himself. He thinks he's great. He thinks he's wonderful. But in reality, 
It doesn't add up to much. But the, the person who knows that he has been created in the image of God, he's been redeemed in Christ, this person truly is something. You see, apart from Christ, I am nothing. I am a nobody. But in Christ, I have everything that I need. I have been given every spiritual gift. The Holy Spirit is bearing fruit in and through me. We who are alive in Christ and are being led by the Holy Spirit will develop the same mindset as John the Baptist had about Jesus. And he said, he must increase, but I must decrease. Our desire is that the Lord Jesus be glorified and we diminish. And make no doubt about it, the Lord Jesus is certainly glorified when you bear the burdens of others. And as it happens in our own hearts, as Jesus becomes greater, we become lesser, other people will become more important to us. And we will want to help carry their loads. But how do we do this? How do we avoid thinking that we're something when we're nothing? How do we know? Well, Paul says in verse 4, each, each one should test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. We are to test our actions, we're to put them to the test. We're to put them through the fires of the crucible. We're to find out whether they're true, whether they're right. We're to look at ourselves in light of what Christ has done for us. Now, I think the New International Version does a good job of translating verse 4 here. It says, each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. And that's really the crux of it, isn't it? Rather than testing ourselves, we're constantly in a state of comparing ourselves to each other. But there's a, there's a grave danger in attempting to compare ourselves to others. There are two options when you compare yourself to another brother or sister in Christ. The first option is you compare yourself to a brother or sister, and you realize they are going through a really rough time. You see the sins in their life, and you think to yourself, boy, I'm glad I'm not like them. I'm glad I don't struggle with that sin. You begin to develop that sense of arrogance and conceit. Well, the other option is you look at another brother and sister in Christ, you who are trying to be honest about your sinfulness and, and you're trying to be aware of your status, your struggles with sin, and you see somebody else and their life looks perfect. And then you become discouraged. It's quite the opposite of arrogance. You're downtrodden and defeated. And it's because you're not looking at the ultimate standard. You're looking at these people who many times are hiding their own sin to you. You don't see the way that they struggle. Instead of comparing ourselves to others, we need to test ourselves against God's word. And you see, two things happen when you test yourself against God's word. The first is you realize that you are a sinner, that you have fallen short of the glory of God. But then you realize, what do you, you realize that God has redeemed you in Christ, and all the promises of Scripture are yours. They are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. It's not up to you. It's not based on your actions or your performance. It's based on what Christ has done for you. And this is self-examination. This is looking at your heart. And the purpose of this is to help determine our standing before God. Now Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed... You fail to meet the test. The purpose of testing yourself is to determine if Jesus Christ is in you. And this is the type of testing that Paul is talking about in our passage this morning. 
And there are only two possible outcomes. Either Jesus is in you or he is not. He is or he isn't. And what you're testing for is the evidence of your faith in Christ. This is quality assurance. This is quality control. You're testing. You're looking for evidence of faith. Now, the Westminster Confession of Faith describes works, good works specifically, as the fruits and evidences of a true and lively faith. Works don't justify you in God's sight, but they give evidence to the fact that you have been justified. And if you meet the test, if you're looking at these evidences of your faith, if you're seeing your works and you're seeing, okay, I'm bearing some fruit here. I'm not indulging in the desires of the flesh. I'm not uh, acting out in the works of the flesh. If you meet the test, determining that Christ is in you, then you have reason to boast, Paul says. But let your boasting be the same as Paul's. Do not boast in yourself. What does Paul say? I boast in nothing else but the cross of Christ. He says that in uh, 6.14. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. We do not boast in ourselves of what we have done. We boast in the cross of Christ. We do not boast in our own spirituality. We don't boast in the fruits that we're bearing. We boast in Christ. We boast in him crucified. We boast in our sins being nailed to that cross with him. And we did not do that. Christ did it for us. Now Paul commanded us in verse 2 to bear each, other, bear each other's burdens. But now in verse 5 he says, for each will have to bear his own load. So, what is it? Is Paul contradicting himself here? Has he just said one thing in verse uh, 2 and another thing in verse 5? Well, it's doubtful. I think your instincts are probably right here. You're saying, no, Paul wouldn't do that. See, verses 2 and 5 reflect the balance between dependency and personal responsibility. Paul uses two different words here uh, when he uses the word bear each other's burdens in verse 2 and when he says carry your own load in verse 5. He's using two different words. They're very similar. They could probably be used interchangeably, but at least he's conveying that he's not talking about the same thing here. There are loads that you and you alone must carry in this life. There are loads that are put on your shoulders that you alone can carry. And what does Jesus say about those loads? He says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. The primary load that you must carry, that no one else can carry for you, is your faith in Christ. You will not get into heaven on the coattails of anyone else's faith. You can certainly be encouraged by other people's faith. You can certainly have the faith in Christ Jesus commended to you by other people who have faith. But you cannot get into heaven. You cannot have salvation without embracing the Lord Jesus Christ with your own faith. But there's also a responsibility that we bear in terms of what God has gifted us to do. Each of us has been given different gifts that we are to exercise in the household of faith. We've been given different tasks and different responsibilities. And you see this even in, in the structure of our church. That is not a hierarchical church, but there we have pastor, we have elders, we have deacons, and we have uh, the congregation. And each member of this body of Christ, this, this local body of Christ, has been given a gift or multiple gifts that he or she is to carry out. You're to carry these gifts out, to use them in the service of the church. And you have no choice about it. 
And if you don't responsibly exercise the gifts that the Lord has endowed you with, then the Lord will not look upon that favorably. This is what Paul is talking about when he says you must carry your own load. I cannot exercise your gifts for you. You cannot exercise my gifts for me. There is responsibility there. So we are commanded to help carry each other's burdens. But there are some loads that you alone must carry. And there are some loads that I alone must carry. Well, there will be times in each of our lives when we will need someone else to come beside us and help us with our burdens. If it hasn't happened to you yet, it will. No doubt. You may even need someone to pick you up and to carry you. You may need two people to come along with a stretcher and put you on it and carry you off the battlefield. Well, this should not come as a surprise. We could not carry the weight of sin, could we? The Lord Jesus Christ had to carry it for us. He had to bear it for us on the cross. This is proof that we cannot walk through this life in the Christian faith alone. We are utterly dependent upon Jesus for our salvation. And we are dependent upon our brothers and sisters in Christ to help us in our Christian walk. But we also may be used by God in our brothers' and sisters' lives. We often are the instruments that he uses. We're the tools of the surgeon. And we have to be ready and willing. We have to pay attention. And we also have to let each other know when we're ailing. You see, just as Christ died for us, just as he gave his life for our sins on the cross, so we must die to ourselves and give our lives for other people. But we've also got to realize, all all at the same time, we've got to realize that there are certain things that I can't do for you and you cannot do for me. There are personal responsibilities that we each bear before the Lord. And the first of these responsibilities is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are justified by faith in Jesus Christ, not by anyone else's faith. We each bear individual responsibility to believe in Jesus. And so I call upon you, if you have not professed faith in Christ, to do so. Profess faith. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins. You will be saved. And then I call upon you to walk in faithfulness and to bear each other's burdens. This is the law of Christ. Let us pray.